Good evening. You might be heard. Am I on? Fantastic. Uh, so, we have been doing a series called the Self-Feeding Program. This is the last time uh, we're doing that. So, if you're coming in right at the end, it's actually such a straightforward concept that if this is your first time in this series, you'll actually get what the whole series was about in one. We, we're, we're repeating very straightforward concepts that relate to our faith in a really meaningful way. Um, but before I start, I want, I, I haven't, I've usually just gone straight into the first few slides, which are the same each time we do this series, uh, to, re, to just reinforce principles that I think are a bit lacking in sometimes the way we do church. And I'll reinforce them in a second. But today we're going to talk about the idea of the type of faith that Jesus left us with was always meant to be done with trusted friends. You may see a version of Christianity out there where someone, they watch some YouTube videos, they read their Bible, they go to church once a year, and they don't talk about their faith with anyone, not, not like to people who don't know Jesus, but even with people who do know Jesus. And, and you know, they, it's interesting that that type of faith exists because right from the beginning, if, you, if Jesus and the disciples is the most instructive idea of what church is meant to be and the book of Acts, then if you live a faith like that, you've made up your own form of Christianity. It never existed. This is Jesus never gave us the example of, oh, by the way, you can do this Christian thing by yourself. It just, it's, it's, it's not in the Bible. I mean, and, and so I just want to um, put that challenge out there, that that's actually, if, if we take Scripture seriously, it's not an option on the table to do faith by yourself. It's not, it's simply not an option. And I'm going to try and explore that and demonstrate that quite straightforwardly from Scripture today. But we've been doing this thing called the self-feeding program, and it's got these four basic premises. But before we go into them, why don't we just invite the Lord Jesus to bless our time? Let's do that. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your presence here because we are gathered in your name and we just want to claim that promise that you are with us when we do that, that when we gather in your name, there you are with us. And so you're here. And then we ask that you would um, minister to our hearts, impart truth to us that um, impacts us and changes us and helps us follow you more faithfully. Amen. So we have these four premises and they are this, that the Bible has made it clear what practices nourish your faith. It's told you plainly in Scripture. These things nourish faith. The Bible has made it clear what practices build resilient faith. And so if the Bible has told you plainly, and we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, it is then our responsibility to build those practices into our lives. And when I say build them into your lives... I mean that they are so built into your life the way eating breakfast is built into your life, the way going to the toilet is built into your life, the way, you know, the whole point is it is a part of your life. In fact, I believe that the scriptures, when they talk about building faith, what they mean is, is that if all the organized ministry here were to stop, that these practices would still be in your life, that you would have that sort of faith that is resilient and has the practices built into it that nourish your faith and build resilient faith. And the last point, um, it says the transformation of our hearts is something God does, but that we have a responsibility to partner with. And that's my best understanding of how we change as Christians. We can't take credit for it. He's the vine, we're the branches. But at the same time, 
It's something God does in us and that we have this responsibility in the habits of our lives to partner with what God wants to do in our lives. And we can see this balance and, I, and we look at these three verses every week to just help us, remind us of these concepts, this whole idea. So in this one, you know this, um, Peter Melbourne actually talked about this verse in the morning service where it talks about coming to Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the idea of a yoke, um, you know, we, we, we talk about it every time we um, bring up this verse, but the yoke was, you know, if you were training two bulls to walk together and you had the old experienced bull who knew how to you know, walk at an acceptable rhythm that wasn't annoying to the people on the cart, you know, you, so you would yoke a younger bull, so you'd get this wooden thing that would hold them together, and the younger bull would slowly learn how to walk to the rhythm of the older bull, and so they would be yoked together. And so Jesus is saying, if you yoke yourself to me, so let me lead, let me show you how to walk, let me show you how to do life, then if you live that way, you're going to experience my rest um, and, and, you know, and I'll be able to teach you and I'm gentle and humble in heart. Now, in this scenario, it's quite obvious who does the leading. It's quite obvious who does the teaching. It's quite obvious who knows the way to go. But we have a responsibility to come. We have a responsibility to yoke ourselves to the Savior and follow his lead. So we're not passive in it. But it's clearly that it's like we're not passive in this arrangement. If we look in this one as well, which I've already referred to, it's if, you know, it talks about remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's very clear who is the one who does the growing. It's very clear who is the source of life. But we're not passive in this one either. We're told to remain in Christ. So as he's the one who grows us, we have to somehow in our habits intentionally connect ourselves to Christ. And we've got Romans 12 too, where it talks about do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Yes, it's God who transforms us, but we in our habits need to somehow be transformed. We need to actively engage with what God wants to do in our lives. So the key question that we keep coming back to in this series is this, if God is ready and poised to transform you from the inside out, what key practices set you up to partner with him in that? You know, so if God is ready to transform us as a community, as individuals, he's ready. He has things he wants to do next year in your heart. What are the habits that help you abide and partner with what he wants to do in your life? And the reason we talk about habits is because what we do on a regular basis forms our loves and our longings. I mean, like I said, you know, I said this in the first sermon. There are so many nauseating Panthers fans in our midst. They're irritating. They make too much noise. The grand final was years ago. They're still wearing their jerseys. They just can't get over it. Just get over it. New season. We'll move on. Um, but the truth is, you were not born. Who Put down hand if you love the Panthers. Who you love the Panthers? Okay. All right. All right. Rob, you were not born loving the Panthers. No, it's not true. You weren't born out going, go Panthers, go Nathan Cleary. You weren't. You, you don't care. All right. So you were born and then you watched copious amounts of the Panthers 
and you wore their jerseys and you listened to news articles about them and you listened to them on the radio and what happened is your heart formed into a heart that loved the Panthers. It's the same if you love coffee. You, don't, you weren't born loving coffee. That would be really weird. Like, if, a ba- if that would mean that the mother probably drunk too much coffee and that's a problem. But if, you know, if you drink 10,000 cups of coffee and you, you will love coffee though, won't you? Because you'll form a love for it. Um, and so this is, this is the same. And if you want to talk about it on the way of character, right? Like, every time you make a lazy choice, you become a more lazy person. Every time you make a kind choice, you become a more kind person. Every time you make a gentle choice, you become a more gentle person. We are always moving in the way that we are behaving. That's the way we are as humans. We are the sum of our habits. And so one of the more confronting ways to put this is that who you are right now who you are right now, your everyday habits are perfectly designed to produce that person. Isn't that, isn't that, that's a confronting thought for me, isn't it? That, that who I am right now, my everyday habits are perfectly designed to produce that. That's exactly what my habits are designed to produce. And so, which goes to show that it's a silly strategy if you think, if this is your strategy for change, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to be inspired by great teaching, but I'm not going to change any habits. That is a recipe to feel inspiration, but then go on living the same way. If we're not, if we're not interested in tackling the world of habits, then we're not truly interested in change. If, we're not, if, you, if you want to be someone different to what you are now, if you want to partner with what God wants to do in your life, you have to tackle it in the world of habits. In the world of habits. So we've looked at in the self-feeding program, we've looked at Jesus's promise that if we hear and obey his words, we will be like a house built on a rock and the storms came and beat against that house, but it was still standing. But the more confronting part of that week when we looked at it was this, that if you choose to live each week without the word of God, you are choosing to live a life that is more vulnerable to the storm. You have, Jesus has told you plainly, if you fill your life with my words, you will be strong. Which means, the, which means the opposite is true. And he says this plainly, doesn't he? He says, if you do not hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you are like a house that when the storms come, it will crumble. So we have this strong incentive that in our habits, we should have the word of God in our lives. Last week, and you can look at these on the podcast or on YouTube, you can find them. Um, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, that, the, that the Jesus gave us a prayer to help us pray, to help us lean into different attributes of God. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that, that the Lord's Prayer helps us lean into God as Father, as King, as Provider, as Forgiver, as Protector, as Deliverer. So I encourage you um, to, if you struggle with prayer, start with the Lord's Prayer. And if you want to know how to do that, you can go last week. Um, and have a listen to that sermon. But this week we're going to look at, for you to have strong and resilient faith, you must do your faith with others. You absolutely have no choice if you want strong and resilient faith to have a faith that is open to the input of others. And we're going to try and see that through the scriptures. So the starting point was what um, Kath read for us, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. Now, we're not going to read through it again because I want to actually go into looking at the the Gospels with Jesus and the disciples. 
But you know this passage where it talks about the body and there's many parts and all the parts are important and no part can say they're not important. So just a few key points just from what was read is this, that diversity is intentional in the design of the church. It is a good thing that everyone is not like me. And it is a good thing that everyone is not like you. And it is good and it is for the blessing of the church that we are different. Now, the context of this passage is talking about spiritual gifts, but we can make the broad point that we are stronger together. Um, You know, even when you work in any sort of team, you see that dynamic, don't you? That there are those who are more prophetic. There are those who are more cautious. There are those who see problems. There are those who see opportunities. There are those that are really pastoral and can give really good insight into the needs of people. But if we all bring something valuable... That means that if you're over here and you're the I have nothing to offer person, that's not acceptable. Not acceptable. But at the same time, the person over here who is like, I'm so amazing, I don't need anyone, that's also unacceptable. We need to live in between those two zones and say, actually, everyone is important in the body of Christ. And we are weaker if we do not bring what we have to bring. But also we are weaker if we don't acknowledge that everyone around me is bringing something that I need for my faith to be strong. Um, We'll we'll skip that third point. Um, That's another sermon we could talk about. Um, But basically what we're going to see in the Gospels, and I'm going to show you in a moment, is that following Jesus was always meant to be done with trusted friends. We thrive in the context of real relationship. And like I said, the challenge I have for you is that you absolutely need others for strong and resilient faith. The most mature Christians I know, if I sit across from them, will tell me key individuals that impacted their faith. That is just a granted. I have no doubt that if I sit down with, let's say, what I would consider, let's say, the five most mature Christians in my life, they will be able to say, at this point in my life, this person. At this point in my life, this person. They always had a posture that was open to the input of others. And they would not be the mature Christian they were today if they closed that off. It just would not be true. So, let's have a look at some things in the Gospels. So, let's start here. Let's read this through with me. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. So the first couple of verses, the reason the second part was from Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to 30. So the first part I wanted to point out is that don't you find it interesting that the Son of God chose to have varying levels of relationship? So we know from the Gospels there was a group of like 72 that followed him around, right? We sent out 72 at one point to do mission. And then within the 72... He had 12 that he was closer to again. And we also know that within the 12, there were three who were his besties. Isn't it interesting that the Son of God considers it important that there are some people that get closer than others? There are some people in my life that I, that I let a little deeper in because I need that. Isn't that interesting that the Son of God wasn't so self-sufficient that he said, well, I don't really need to be close to anyone. 
you're all, you just stay as a big group of 72. He had varying levels of closeness, even, even as himself. I find that fascinating, that the Son of God had varying levels of closeness, of friendship with different people. The second part is to say, you see this in the Gospels. This is how, so these, the disciples, this isn't like rocket science, they're the first followers of Jesus, yeah? So the first followers of Jesus, this is how they work out truth. Jesus asked them a question and they toss it around together. Well, some say this, others say this, and then Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. And so what we see straight away is that the disciples learn and discern together. We're not given the picture of one of them going off, coming up with all the answers and coming back and telling the rest of them. Jesus, from the start, set up faith to be this thing where they worked it out together. He taught them together. So that's the first little insight we get. So let's have a look a bit more in the Gospels as well. Um, So Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, this is when he sends out the 72. And then I want to read verse 17 to 19, which is what happens after they come back from doing that. So Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's meant to be a D there. And then after that, it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what I want to point out here is that, so this is mission from the start, right? These are the first mission trips. In the first mission trips, is anyone sent out by themselves? No. They go out with people. They come back. And then what happens at the end of the mission trip? So they go out, they come back, they come back and they share stories with the wider community. So straight away, if we're meant to get our clues from what's Christianity meant to look like from the Gospels, well, mission is together. And then after you go on mission, you come back and you share your stories and, you, and they, they, they seem excited to share what they've been doing with Jesus. The picture of mission is one where it is done together. So mission is done together. Let's, let's see, and I'm trying to give you a sweep to give you an idea. This is what we were shown in the, in the scriptures, in the Gospels. So I want to read um, this bit. Before I read, I need to give you some context. So um, John the Baptist has just been killed. Now we know that John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, right? So this is family. This is really close. So knowing what it's like for those in the room, knowing what it's like to lose someone who is close to you, and how important it is for you to, after you have lost someone close to you, to make sure you don't isolate, but you actually lean into people who love you. Have a look at what happens after John the Baptist dies. So on hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And then it talks about how crowds followed and he couldn't get the time away that perhaps he wanted. But isn't it interesting that after Jesus goes through personal tragedy, 
What he wants to do is gather his close friends and go and be with them. I find that very, like, isn't that such an insight into the humanity of Jesus? That Jesus has an instinct, after going through personal tragedy, to be with his close friends. I think that's, that's really, really, and, we, and the reason I'm pretty confident about that instinct with that passage is that look how Jesus is when he's about to go to the cross. So going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them, found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is so powerful that the Son of God, if ever there was a person to be self-sufficient, it would be Jesus, right? That the Son of God, when he is going through his hardest hour, is frustrated that his friends will not stay awake with him. He wants their company. He wants their company. He wants them with him as he's going through this hard thing. If anyone was equipped, friends, to fly solo, it was Jesus. But Jesus has modelled to us, and he is our Lord, and he is our main example, that you embrace the support of others. You embrace the camaraderie of close friendship. It's good and good and right that you have close friends with disciples who clearly did faith together. He taught the mission that is together. He caught them grieving that is together. He caught them... Dis- he- He showed us discerning that is together. Everything is together and in the context of trusted friends. And so we need trusted friends. And that line straight under that heading is the big challenge I want to put to you. That shutting out people is a form of shutting out Christ. If we are the body of Christ together, then to fly solo, to shut out people from your faith journey is a way of shutting out Christ. And that makes so much sense when you think about what close friends provide. Without trusted friends, you miss out on discernment because we can't see everything ourselves. You miss out on rebuke because sometimes someone else needs to tell you you're wrong. We miss out on encouragement, which we need desperately to stay on track. We miss out on accountability. We all know that. You know, it's interesting. We often say, well, kids thrive when they have accountability. You know adults thrive when they have accountability? It's like that's not something you grow out of. It's just something you shouldn't need an adult to enforce upon you anymore. That we need accountability to thrive as adults. And we miss out on modelling as well. We miss out on what faith looks like in other people's lives if we don't incorporate them in our lives. So I don't know what your rhythms are like. I don't know whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. I don't know whether you're a people person or not. I don't know if you go to a life group. Um, But this new year, if you have a form of faith that's rather isolated and siloed, I'm challenging you. You need to get out of it. You need to take some steps. You need to start praying about that. That is not good. Nothing, and Jesus has not modeled that to you. Jesus hasn't, in the model Jesus gives us of faith, that's just not an option. So we need to start thinking, how are we going to incorporate people in our lives? So here's just some ideas to start praying through it. Now, some of you have these rhythms and that's okay. But we need to take time and room for connection. Trusted friends are predictably present in your lives. 
Do you know what I mean by that? Actually, there's something in your rhythms that orbit each other. So, and, and you know, it, we often, if we are close friends with someone, if there isn't any intentionality and we don't actually orbit each other, that's how we grow apart. So we need to take, make time and room for connection. You can join a life group. Um, you, you can meet up with one or two people if you don't have time for a life group and say, hey, let's just read and pray together. And if you're really feeling stuck and it's finally really hard, you can come talk to one of the pastors and we can talk about it with you. But you can also just ask God to lead you to some trusted friends for the journey. And whatever you do, do something. Whatever you do, do something. Because if you're feeling like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling like I need trusted friends in my life, and you're feeling that inspiration, you, we've got to turn that into decision. Because inspiration disappears like that, you know? You kind of go, oh, yeah, I'm feeling inspired. Get in the car, turn on the news, bam, it's gone. Like, you know what I mean? Like, inspiration is a moment where if God's speaking to you, you've got to turn it into some sort of decision, right? You've got to go, well, I've got to decide something this week. And then if you want to make sure that you carry through on that decision, tell someone. Tell a trusted friend, perhaps. But if they're not available, just tell someone that what you've decided to do. And make sure... That whatever you decide to do, you repeat it more than once. Because that comes back to everything we said at the start about how our habits form. Because if you're someone who has been living isolated for a long time, mixing with people is hard work. Like, and, and it's going to take a while for you to form a heart and a posture that's comfortable with other people. And because everything we do for the first time in a long time feels unnatural. Do you remember post-COVID? Like, it was kind of a bit weird hanging out. Like, it was a bit like... Like, I miss this, but then people are a lot. And I think I just need to go home now. Like, it was a bit weird, all right? And so we form in a direction. But if this is important, if this is what Jesus wants for us, please stick at it. Particularly introverts, particularly people who aren't people people. You need to find what it looks like for you to have trusted friends in your lives. It doesn't mean you need to match the extroverts and they're crazy. I'm friends with everyone. Sometimes it might just be two or three people. But you need people. You need people. And then after you've repeated things for a while, then you can evaluate whether it's being fruitful in the way you're doing it. But not before then. You're not in a good position to evaluate something when you do it once. Because, of course, it feels unnatural. And that's just the way we are as human beings. So that's the idea of the self-feeding program. Now, there's other topics we could do. But I hope that across these three weeks, I have gotten across to us the simple message that you can set up the habits of your life to ensure your faith is strong. One plus one equals two. These habits do equal strong faith if you bother to build them into your lives. And basically every time you do one of these things, your heart moulds in the direction to be someone who does these things. Does that make sense? Like every time you read the Bible, you become... Someone who read more like someone who reads the Bible. Every time you pray, you become more like someone who prays. Every time you lean into trusted friends or take a step towards having trusted friends, you are becoming someone who is installing this really important pillar in your life for strong faith. I believe the fruitfulness of our church here at Springwood will increase immensely if the organised ministry is happening alongside a community that takes responsibility to feed themselves. 
Now, that can sound a little funny coming from a Christian leader, but, I, but I, I think that's the challenge. The challenge is the fruitfulness of this church will be amazing if the organised ministry is speaking into a community that feeds themselves. You know, um, there was um, one, of my, one of my mentors, he actually, apparently he said this, which was, well, it's a bit brave, um, but there was like... Um, you know, there were, there were some people complained to him about the preaching. Maybe it wasn't deep enough or something. And maybe it was aimed at some of the newer Christians. And he, and he looked these, apparently he said to these people, you know, how long have you been a Christian? He says, shouldn't you be pretty good at feeding yourself? It was a little like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like maybe, you know, maybe halfway here. We've got to, yeah. it's, like, it's just a real, it's a real challenging idea, isn't it? But can I encourage you? Young to old here in this room, do you have faith and believe that God wants to do things in your heart this next year? That he wants to grow you? That he's not done with you yet? You know, there's a hint, one of the main signs that God isn't done with you yet is that you're alive. Um, Now, looking across the room, everyone looks alive to me. Therefore, that means God hasn't taken you home. Therefore, God has more to do. Don't you want to set up your life to partner with everything he wants to do in your life in the next year? Well, friends, you've got to build the habits in your life that set us up to do just that. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a good God. A good God who pursues us, dies in our place, forgives us, gives us this wonderful invitation to follow you. But not follow you in a way where it depends on us. That actually you promise to do the growing. You promise to teach us. You promise to lead us wherever we need to go. If we would but yoke ourselves to you. If we would but remain in you. Lord, help us build the habits into our lives. Help us build the habits into our lives that keep us close to you. That keep us open to everything you want to do in our hearts. Make us people who fill our lives with your word. Make us people who fill our lives with prayer. Make us people who fill our lives with trusted friends who help us stay on the road with you. Fill our lives with these things because we want to go wherever you lead us. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.